so being diagnosed with breast cancer was really, I don't think I realized it at the time, but it really became a catalyst for me to really rethink my life and make really purposeful decisions about how I was going to move forward in the future. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. For sisters and brothers, today is such a treat. I met Larissa Kindred through my day job in true crime when I asked her to be basically an expert witness on Mormonism. And if one looks at her bio, let's say on Instagram or on some of the writing and work that Larissa has done, Larissa Kindred is a women's and gender studies bachelor's degree. She's getting a master's degree in mental health counseling. She's an adoptive mama, a Bengal cat mom, and you know, that's kind of cool, and a breast cancer survivor. And today she's going to tell us a little bit about how breast cancer helped transform her decisions that really helped her move mountains. She's doing a lot of great things in the world and is going to be publishing a book on some research she's done on Mormon women's undergarments. So we'll talk a little bit about that a little later. In personal news, it is now the beginning of November. It's beautiful. It's sunny. My, If you're on YouTube, you can see my cat pacing the room because he wants you to see him. Um, sorry about that distraction. Anyhow, it is a gorgeous, crisp day in East Tennessee. And I wanted to give a shout out to my friend Eva, uh, who did request Grounded in Grit, grit Turn Your Challenges into Superpowers. She requested it at her public library. And I forget to mention that you can do that. Both of my books are published so that people can request to order them through their local bookstores, through their uh, bigger bookstores like Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon, all the regular places. And so you have some options there. But one of the best things, when someone requests that a book be ordered in a library, it not only makes it avail available for them to read, but it invites other people later on to read the same book. And a lot of times book sales go up when uh, a book is carried in a library. True fact. And other, so thank you, Eva, and thank you to all library readers. I love going to libraries. They're fabulous still. I did finally have the courage to wrap up the audiobook. And I think what was holding me back was nothing more than regular anxiety. I messed up so much trying to publish my book, hit the wrong button. It would set me back two uh, weeks with the distributor that I used. And, you know, just so many little mistakes that I made in the learning process, which is part of learning, although I do take it to a next next level learning. But anyway, I was so afraid after I finally got that done on August 11th that Grounded and Grit came out in ebook and paperback that I just held off with the audiobook. So now it's in a review process finally, but 
I'm hopeful and excited that I could at least work through that. I think you're going to love Larissa today. Uh, before we, yeah, before we move on to Larissa, there are times where people ask, like, how can I support an author? And just know that every time you word of mouth say to someone, hey, I like this particular book, you should read it, that's a help. If you review online a book, even if you buy it on one retailer, you can still review it at Goodreads and on Amazon, even if you didn't buy it through Amazon, which owns Goodreads. But those are super helpful. And, you know, like I said, getting it in the library, asking for it to be carried in the library, telling a friend, reviewing it, whatever. That's just such a shot in the arm. Makes such a huge difference. Thanks so much. And I am going to bring Larissa in a tiny, tiny second. I always love getting your emails and thanks for being here. Larissa Kindred, so glad to see you again. Thank you for being here on Persistence You today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat today. Oh my goodness. I just, your life story has so many interesting things. Let's, we'll come to the cat later and how the Bengal cat entered your life, but really, because <laughs> you know, I'm a cat lady. So that's the thing. I love that's it. Yeah, me too. I'm all about the cat. So yeah, we will make sure we get to her. <laughs> I love it. But please tell us a little bit about your life and the story behind the story now, because you're doing some fabulous research and writing, but you know, please tell us a little bit about yeah, I've had the the last couple of years have had a lot of significant changes, but I think, you know, there was a lot that came before that that kind of led me to that place. Um, so I was I was born and raised in Utah in a very, very orthodox Mormon community. And um so I think that there there's there's people, there's many people who find that that's a good fit for them and they're happy in that. There's community there. But it just it never really felt like the right fit for me. And um, I'm I'm mixed race Asian American and I grew up in a very predominantly white area. So that was a little bit difficult. Um, and then also my parents got divorced when I was 10. And in Mormonism, that's especially in the 80s where I was growing up, that was very much like you. It was a you we were definitely a broken family. And so okay. um, it it felt we felt a little second class in our religious community because of that. Um, and so by the time I was an adult, you know, I think people can go one of two ways. You can kind of start deconstructing and saying this isn't for me. But uh, when I was in my 20s, I was really seeking to be validated and to feel like I was, you know, like part of the group. And so I actually really kind of like doubled down into Mormonism. And so um, I got married very young, which is common for a Mormons. I was 21 when I got married. And um, my husband and I, we moved away from Utah because he was going to medical school. And so we just like dug in and, and did the thing. And I just tried to do every possible thing that I could do to be a good Mormon woman. The, you know what I was told and. In the 80s and 90s, when I was growing up, there was there was tons and tons of focus on being a stay at home mom. And, you know, like we heard we had lessons in our youth group where they would say, you know, like it's selfish to put your kids in daycare or, um, you know, like, uh, you know, if you are a good mother, then your kids will be successful. You know, like, so just heavy, heavy pressure on 
motherhood and being at home and not working and um, it's selfish to work. And, you know, like, so I, and that, that language has changed. I, I think there's still some of that culturally within, within Mormon communities, but it has, it has toned down a little bit, which is good. But, um, but when I was growing up, it was, it was, it was pretty hardcore. So, um, I just tried to do the thing I and my husband and I just did the things and we were very, very, um, active in our local congregations. And my husband ended up in, um, regional leadership. Um, and then I was over the women's organization for a while. And so we were kind of like doing the thing. And then, um, and then through my thirties, I think I just started to push against some of the, um, some of the teachings that didn't line up with my values and, um, you know, learned certain things that were part of the church's history that didn't feel very good with me. And so through my thirties, I really started to kind of push against what I was hearing and learning. And it just didn't feel right. It felt very incongruent. Like I was in a space and I was trying to act and look a certain way, but it actually didn't feel very authentic or right for me. So it just, it was a time in my life that I just was unsettled, I think. So, um, so yeah, I just, but what we just kept plugging along and we kind of did our thing. And then, um, that kind of led me up to, um, around maybe 2018. Um, I kind of like had a, just like a meltdown and, and um, I had started listening to all these therapy podcasts. And so, yeah, I just kind of had a meltdown. And I just, I remember like having a conversation with my husband. And I think it was the first time I allowed myself to say this, but I was like, I'm very unhappy. Like I'm, I'm unhappy. And I know that that's crazy because I feel like I shouldn't be unhappy, you know, but um, I have good support and, you know, like I have lots of resources and privileges, but I am very unhappy. And so I think that we started to kind of dig into what I needed in my, you know, and all of my life, I had kind of prioritized my husband's career and my kids' needs. And that's, that's really what a good, a good, you know, like Christian Mormon woman would do, right? Is that you sacrifice for your kids and you make everything good for your husband. And I just, I think I just came to a place where I realized that I really had nothing that was really mine or that I really hadn't shaped anything for me. And so, um, I started just thinking about like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, what should I do now? What, what do I need in my life so that I can feel more like myself and have something that's, that's mine. And I'm growing in my own personal things. And so, um, so yeah, that kind of that that kind of brought me up to a point of like really searching and and looking and um kind of I don't know, uh critically thinking about my life and the choices that I had made. And it's really it's a really weird place to be in because I had spent so much of my life being told, you know, to prioritize others. I really I really had never experienced something where anybody was saying like what do you want? What do you want to right. do? What's right for you? I had been told very specifically, like, this is what a good woman does. This is what you should be doing. And so I spent a little while just um, not knowing. I was like, I don't know. I don't I don't know what to do. I don't know what will make me happy. I don't know. Do I want to go back? I had I had done a couple years of college. 
but um, hadn't graduated. And so I thought, you know, like, should I go back to college? Am I too old to go to college now? You know, should I <laughs> volunteer for a nonprofit? Should I get a certification? You know, they're just, I just spent a little bit of time um, kind of vacillating and not really knowing what I should do because it was really the first time I had like allowed myself to say like, you can have something more, you should have something more. So, um, so that kind of brings us that I was kind of in that place, uh, when COVID hit. So uh, of course in 2020, you know, everything shuts down and it was kind of like, everything was just on hold. We were all at home. And so, um, and so really, um, it, I feel like a lot of things were put on hold, even like me trying to think through what I wanted to do or, you know, what the next steps were. Uh, but while we were at home for COVID, you know, like we didn't go to church anymore during the time, you know, the time that everything was yeah. shut down. So um, we weren't going to church and I was at home and, you know, we were just kind of doing meaningful things, you know, for Sabbath worship with our kids and it just felt, it felt so good. It, it felt really, really, um, it just felt really nice to be at home and without the pressure of kind of acting or being a certain way at church. And, um, and again, other people, this isn't their experience with Mormonism, but it it was mine. Um, I just, I don't think that I, I write for that setting. And so I was trying to make myself fit into something that wasn't right for me. And so I, I think what in COVID hit, I had a break from that. And, um, it, it just, I think it started to give me the idea that, you know, maybe it's not the right space for me. Um, right. and then this brings and me I, to, I know, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And I love that your husband entertained these conversations and took them seriously. He didn't just listen to you. It sounds like he supported you thinking about these things that were maybe taboo topics for other people. Yeah, he really, he's, he has, he's been really fantastic and it's not, you know, it's not an easy journey. And we, we've been to, you know, therapy to try to break down, like what, what did we build together and what's not serving us anymore? But, um, but yeah, I do think that's a really important aspect is he was, he was validating or he wasn't like, oh, you're just going through a tough phase and you'll get through it. I think, I think he kind of understood that this was something very, very significant for me. So good, good. And then what happens next? So, 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 you know, everybody was having just a terrible year in 2020 and, you know, we had you know, COVID and then there's all this racial tension and protesting that happens in the summer with the death of George Floyd. We've got a really, really divisive and contentious election that happens in the fall. So by the end of the year, I know all of us were like, like, we have to close the door on this year. Like, Let's just hope that 2021 is better. And in on December 9th in 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I had this like huge bomb go off at the end of just like the worst year. And so, um, yeah, this is so being diagnosed with breast cancer was really I don't think I realized it at the time, but it really became a catalyst for me to really rethink my life and make really purposeful decisions about how I was going to move forward in the future. Wow. 
I mean, it seems like a horrible thing on top of other horrible things that were happening to us all, but yet you used it as an opportunity to map out what comes next. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That is fantastic. So how did you went through treatment and, and what started happening in your personal life? What did you do? So, yeah, so I, um, Yes. So I, I didn't, um, thankfully I didn't have to do chemo. Um, it was, so it was, it was stage two. So it, it was, they, the, the word they use is invasive. It was invasive. So it it most, most breast cancer starts in a duct. And if it stays within the duct, then it's non-invasive. But if it starts growing outside of it, then it's invasive. So mine had, mine had grown outside of the duct, and it, I, it's, it's wild that I didn't notice it before, because they think that it had been there for several years before oh. they, before we found. And the way I found it is, um, I'm a big like proponent of self checks at home. Um, I was. I was actually wrestling, wrestling with my son. I have a 10 year old son. So he would have been, you know, seven, seven at the time, I think. And so I was just kind of wrestling and tickling and joking around with him. And he had kind of like, like pulled his elbow back and just elbowed me like right in the boob. So, and it hurt like so bad to the point where I was like, that doesn't feel right. And then I started just feeling around a lot. And I was like, I actually think there's something in there. And oh. I had, I was in my 30s. I was in my late 30s at the time. I've never been, I mean, I rarely get a cold. I'm just very healthy. Um, I just have not had really any illness in my life. And so it never actually occurred to me that it could ever be breast cancer. I thought maybe I have like a fibroadenoma or a cyst, you know, like that was the likelihood. I don't have a family history of breast cancer. And okay. so, um, I just kind of, I like, thankfully I got it checked and they said, it's probably nothing, but let's biopsy it just in case. And then they biopsied it. And then, yeah, I just got like, hit with, it was like a ton of bricks. I just, I was like, I'm, this is like the twilight zone. Like I was like, I just cannot believe like somebody called me and like said these words to me. So, so, um, wow. even though. It was good sized and like it was growing outside. They said it was very, they did genetic testing on the tumor and it was growing very slowly. And so it wasn't an aggressive one. Yeah. And so um, because of that, they thought that I would not actually benefit from chemo. It wasn't necessary, but um, they did recommend that I have like a, like a bilateral full mastectomy and then reconstruction. Um, And so so yeah, that's what we did. So I, um, I started doing, um, treatment things and testing in December. And then by February, um, I went in to do my, um, the mastectomy and then I, um, and then, and, and they did reconstruction. Some people do mastectomy and then they do reconstruction later, but my surgeon um, just did it all together. So I did like a full major thing and I had a double mastectomy and full reconstruction um, in February. And then I just set to work at kind of recuperating. Wow. That's a lot. It was that a is lot. a lot, but good for you. Good for you. And what did that do to your mental state about your life? Like, what did you did it help when you got through some of the pain and the healing? Did it help you know what you wanted to do next? 
So I think it was kind of a process. And um, so one thing that's so difficult about, you know, once once all the the treatment happens, you're that's when you kind of settle into like what it is to be a survivor. And it's and it's not all, you know, pink ribbons and, you know, just like, yay, there's some it's a hard road to learn how to cope with what's happened to you and the changes mm-hmm. in your body. And so I, you know, like I really felt a sense of like my body betrayed me, you know, and because I had been so healthy and I really was like, I can't believe that I made cancer in my body. It just, it felt like a betrayal. I also had a sense of feeling like, you know, I used to think that I was young and vibrant and post-cancer, I was like, no, I'm not. I'm I'm just a sad like sick person. So like I was just having a lot of kind of mental things to to kind of square with. And I think because of a lot of these issues I was dealing with like some sexual dysfunction and just like really just struggling with what I had experienced with my body. And so I right. went to therapy. So I am in therapy and I think this is when it kind of started kind of like opening things up for me because I just was kind of like spent time processing, reflecting on my experience and, um, and trying to understand my relationship with my body. And one thing I had found is that because of the really kind of rigid kind of abstinence-based, you know, sexual education or lack of sexual education I'd had when I was growing up, um, that I was starting to unpack that I had had, you know, I had had some issues because of uh, the way that I was raised or kind of the environment that I was raised in. And so I just, I think that kind of maybe was a big step in me starting to look through like what had happened or what, what had happened to me in the past, the messages that I'd heard and how many of them hadn't served me well. And then, um, yeah. And then also, um, this is, I know this is really, this is a sad thing. Like it's sad for me to say this. I feel like it's a little bit pathetic almost, but I, I feel like when I had breast cancer, it was maybe the first time in my life where I really felt that I could take up space and just like, you know, like I could take up space and people needed to prioritize me and they could revolve around me and my needs. And I was like, I have cancer. And so like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, like if someone asked me to volunteer for the PTA thing, no, I'm not doing that. I have cancer. You know, so I think it was really one of the first times in my life. I really was like, no, all of you, including like my family and my kids, all of you need to prioritize me right now, which was a big change from what I had been taught about what a woman does. We always prioritize others, but we don't we shouldn't be taking up the space for ourselves. And so it's, it's sad, but I really think cancer really put me in a place where I was like, no, I'm sorry. Everyone's going to do what I need them to do right now. I need everyone to like rally for me right now. This is all about me. And I just think, I think that also kind of opened up a new way of thinking for me where I was like, I've just had a brush with death. And, um, it, you know, these experiences really make you ponder your mortality. And I just right. kind of like through the therapeutic process just said, I can't, I can't keep um, manipulating myself so that I'm palatable for other people. And I think I right. just recognized that I'd done that so much in my life 
And I just thought, I just, I just can't do this anymore. And so I need to, I need to stop doing it. And I need to make choices and build a life that is more compatible with my values and what I feel like is right for me, instead of pushing that down and always feeling frustrated being in spaces that are not right for me. I think that's so amazing that it took cancer. Although you're again, in your thirties, you are fortunate that you got that kind of epiphany in your thirties that you could take up space and that it was perfectly all right sometimes to say, folks, I need you to support me. I'm not just going to let my back break under the weight of everyone else's needs and then be left in my fifties with everyone running off to do their own thing. And I have not had any time for me. So that kind of was a blessing in disguise in so many ways. I I hear from a lot, a number of middle-aged women who are like, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know. I don't know who I am because I was always uh, last on my list of priorities. Yes. And so, you know, it doesn't just intuitively happen that we're like, great, the kids are gone. Everyone else is taken care of. It's me time. So good for you. For taking this as an alarm, really, to say, no, this life does not have to go like this all the time. There's a time when it's appropriate to put your kids' needs and your partner's needs ahead of yours. Yeah, definitely. But it's not constantly. Yeah, definitely. That's so exciting. So what did you decide to do with this kind of epiphany as your family's getting a little bit older and they've learned to support you? What have you been working on then? So I, um, you know, I, I had vacillated for years about going back to school, but it always felt like, am I too old? And, you know, I'm going to be done in my forties and then, and then how much, you know, but I try, I really try to like get that out of my mind because I know that it's not true. Um, but, but I, I don't know, it does, it does make me feel a little, it does kind of make me maybe even like function at a higher pace because I'm like, no, I need to get done. But anyway, so I was actually sitting in my, in like my, with my therapist in his office. And, um, I was just talking about this and I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't even know what I want. I don't know what to do. And he said, and it was really interesting. He used the word fantasy. He was like, he was like, when you see yourself with like a job or something, he's like, what, what, what's your fantasy? And I really, I was like, no one's ever asked me this. I don't, I don't know what it is. And well, I was kind of, I, I was a dancer when I was younger. So I was like, well, I'd like to be a, I'd like to, you know, dance with the New York ballet. But I think, I think that that one really realistically has passed. And that's not, that's maybe being a prima ballerina is, is, is maybe that one really needs to be put away. But um, anyways, but yeah, so I just, I feel like it was nice. Cause he kind of said like, you have a lot of resources. And so like, let's like, you can really lay out like, what do you want to do? And um, so I have just had, I feel like I've had so much varied life experience. Um, And so, and I just love talking to people and making human connections. And so I just decided that I wanted to be a therapist. And so, um, so yeah, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to school. And I'm always very, very passionate about understanding, uh, marginalized communities and women's experiences. And so I, so I went back to school, um, at UMass and, um, I, 
before, when I was going to college before I majored in history, which I, I love history. Um, I'm very passionate about it, but I decided I would um, do a women's and gender studies degree. And so I did that through UMass and it was, it was phenomenal. So I had, I, in 2021, I went back to school to finish my bachelor's degree. So, um, and then I graduated and then I, um, and then now I'm in grad school at UMass still in their mental health counseling program. And then I also work, um, with a research team at UMass and we study, um, mental health interventions for LGBTQ plus individuals and also, um, autistic individuals. So, um, so I'm doing that. And then, um, yeah, and I'm just, I'm just on my road. So I, um, I I'll be graduated in 2025. And so I'm just, I'm just early in my grad school experience, but I'm just happy as can be. It, It suits me really well. And it's, it's been a great experience so far. That's so exciting. I'm really happy for you, but happy for us because you've done a lot of work, with, like you said, with marginalized communities, but you haven't left your Mormon experience. You've maybe left the church, but you do a lot to support women, whether they're active Mormons or thinking about not being active Mormons. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, after uh, maybe like it was maybe like six months after my breast cancer treatment during that time, I really started deconstructing and it's, it's a big thing to, to deconstruct your religious experience because, you know, it's very much your community. It's your worldview. You know, many of my family and friends are still Mormon, but ultimately I really had felt for so many years that it wasn't quite the right fit for me. And so, yeah, I, post breast cancer, I think that just gave me enough courage to say, this isn't right. I have to leave. I knew that there would be, there's a lot of social repercussions from that, but, Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately I was like, this is it. I I can't, I can't stay in this space. And so, um, and my husband and I, we kind of walked this path together. So he, we actually both deconstructed and then left Mormonism together, um, which was really a really positive bonding experience for us. Um, but, but yeah, I, so I, I feel like I, I am always, I always feel very strongly a sense of camaraderie with Mormon women because we have a shared experience. And Mm -hmm. so, um, and I think there's things that, um, that I understand about Mormon women that maybe an outside researcher would not understand. They would maybe not know specific things to ask. And so I just felt that I was really well-placed to, um, to do research on Mormon women. And, um, my research has mostly been around women and how they relate to their, um, Mormons wear a religious undergarment. And, um, and I don't think the audience would know that. I think there are a lot of us, unless you've had a very close Mormon friend, you might not know that that is like, at what age do people start wearing men and women alike in the faith undergarments? So you usually start wearing them. Most people start wearing them before the age of 24. So you, so the first, you know, um, you probably know okay. that Mormons have the the temples, the big, like white temples. So right. um, the first time you go to do, and you go to the temple, you, you know, you make promises and you commit to live a certain type of life. Uh, they also do, you know, weddings in the temple. And so, um, the, but the first time you go, to the temple, that's when you receive your garment. So it's kind of an initiation into like, you are now like a full, like a Mormon in full standing, like in, in the church. And so it's very much, um, 
it's very much a um a rite of passage. And so most Mormons start wearing these and it's it's like a shirt that's almost like a camisole with a cap sleeve. And then okay. the bottoms are kind of like they're shorts and they go to the knee. And so um so you wear these all the time and you're instructed that you should wear them as much as you possibly can. So day and night. And then, you know, obviously if you're playing a sport or working out, you, you don't need to wear them, but you're encouraged to put them on, you know, to try to wear them as much as you possibly can. Okay. Um, What do they do for you? You know, they're, they're, they're told, we're told that they're meant to be a reminder of the promises that you made. And when I was growing up, there was a lot of talk about, um, they, they still talk about protection. They say that this will be a protection for you. So when I was growing up, there was a lot of stories about like someone was in a fire, but they were wearing their garments. And so then they were protected. But now the, the rhetoric is more about spiritual protection, that if you wear these, they'll kind of spiritually protect you and keep you on the path. But, um, but really they're me- they're they're meant to be a reminder of covenants that you made but what i had seen in my personal experience is that women were struggling so much because you know for men they could, theirs look like men's underwear you know like the bottoms are kind of like long boxers and the men's okay. shirts the men's shirts are like a t-shirt so they they kind of they they they're really made for men <laughs> made by men for men but women okay. women's clothing styles are not, are not compatible with these. So it can make, it can make things difficult to shop, which, you know, like that's something that if you really believe in these, that's something that you can deal with. But, um, but women also menstruate. And so it's very, it's a little difficult to navigate because your garments are a little loose on you. And so it's hard to have a pad on there or, um, and then if you're, um, breastfeeding, it's difficult, um, cause you've got an extra layer, um, they didn't start making nursing garments until, um, I think the late seventies. And so, but they're just difficult. And then, um, so, and I think one of the reasons I decided this would be my topic of study is, um, in 2021, uh, there's a New York times, uh, reporter that did an article on Mormon women and their garments. And she had found, like, she'd interviewed these people and she'd talked to a few, like, Mormon influencers. And they were saying that, you know, like, there's a specific rhetoric around Mormon garments that the church puts out. But what Mormon women experience is very different. And a lot of it was like, I'm I'm overheated. I'm having sensory issues. Um, it makes me feel unattractive. Or this, you know... Um, there's people that say that they have chronic yeast infections because it's not breathable fabric. And so um, when this article came out, what I read was very true to what I'd experienced wearing garments and also what I had heard from my friends. And so I was in the middle of a, my women's studies, you know, a program at that time. And so I, w- I thought um, someone need this needs to be researched This is an understudied group. It's not talked about very much. But it's very, it's an important topic about how women relate to religious clothing in general. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's how I got into, interesting. into studying that, yeah. Yeah, that is very interesting because I, I know for me, I'm from Alaska originally. I mean, I wasn't born there, but I lived there for yeah. more than 50 years. But just coming to live in the South, not too far from where you live, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, one more item of clothing. And I can't imagine it during many of the months, so if it's yeah. hot and it's humid, so I can't yes. imagine 
kind of dealing with that and not feeling like, I mean, it's great that you're giving it a voice. And I think that's just one of the, so one important thing, people don't have to make big radical decisions in their life, except for to not keep important issues secret. I feel like that's a huge step. It's like, you're not asking people to burn down a tradition or this, that, or the other thing, but you're giving them a voice to express what they really feel like. And that's important for all of us. I hope so. Yeah. And I agree. And one thing I feel like it's, it is important in, in this area of research is that for me, Mormonism wasn't right for me, but I know that it's very important and sacred to other people and their garments right. are too. And I, so I feel like I want to kind of create a s- space where like you can love Mormonism and you can even love your garments, but you can also say, I have these issues and it's safe to say those things because right. I, I don't right. think there's been a, a really a platform for women and the church is very, you know, it's a patriarchal structure. So men are the, the, the top decision makers. There's, there's women who have, um, you know, le- leadership positions, but they're always, they always have to report to a, a male leader. And the person who is over garment production and garment styles is a man in the, in, in right. the structure. And so, so, yeah, I think it was important for me just to create a space for women to say my garments are important to me, but also I want something different or I need these these issues to be addressed. And so. um so yeah, I I just I want I want people to be able to have their faith but negotiate and navigate it on their own terms. I think that's the thing that makes the most, you know, make makes right. us most connected to God is if that we are able to or you know, like whatever you believe in, we have to be able to negotiate that on our own terms. I love that. I think that's so important and I just the idea that people can have some input into what it impacts them. without having to go to a leader who may have no idea what it is like to be female. (laughs) So it's an important conversation that affects day-to-day life. You know, it's funny because when you, after you and I met, I started looking into a little bit of it and I'm like, that is so interesting. It never would have dawned on me that there's a lot of emotion and impact on a huge part of our uh, society and we want to hear their voices. Yeah. And that's why I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing. And thank you. Thank you so much. I know you're writing and you're, you're compiling the research and you're in graduate school and you have a, you know, you're raising a family in Bengal cat, but (laughs) where can people, people find you and connect with your work? Because I really am interested in this book that's going to come out eventually on the undergarments and just what you're doing in general. Yes, I'm yeah, I'm working on a project yeah with it, with with another garment researcher um for a book right now um and we're hoping that we're hoping that will it won't be too long. But um so I I'm not a huge uh I'm not, you know, like an influencer or anything. My I usually keep my my personal Instagram updated which is just at @lkindred. Um, but I do have an Instagram account where I update my research as I go through the analysis of it. And this is just the yes. one that's on um, Mormon women in garments. And so, um, and that is, it's LDS women in garments on Instagram. Um, I think it's separated by, all the words are separated by dashes, I think. But if you, if okay. people wanted to find it, yeah, there's there's an Instagram account where I just update 
and um, and talk about some of the issues. And sometimes, you know, some of the church leadership will come out with something. And so sometimes I'll just highlight that and say, like, is this something that women agree with? Or, you know, is this is this the right thing? Do is and so anyway, yeah, so that's um that's a place where I kind of just update and compile my research. I have a I have a website that's LDS Women in Garments. And again, that's just kind of centered around this specific um, area of research. So I love that. I just think it's so important that people do have a voice in their day-to-day life. And I had okay. touched on this before and I won't get too much into the weeds, but it was doing uh helping with the documentary on a story about a woman who was reaching out for help uh, from domestic violence and who didn't get that help uh, in an appropriate way at all. And the end was so incredibly devastating. But what I realized when I was helping with this story production is that women were afraid to talk still about what happened in that situation and what happens in the home and what the church is telling them. I had seen very clear uh, instruction that people talked about getting from from their ward that they were not allowed to speak to what happened in the home. So it's not, you know, I want to pick on Mormon women. I think a lot of times women in their faith communities are not valued equally and giving people a voice and helping them know that they're not alone and that they are accepted and amazing whether they're in the faith or out of the faith is just really important. And I love the work you're doing. I agree. Yeah. Thank you so much. So much. And course. do send me the little link to the, the other Instagrams as well. But I would yeah. love for you, if you would, to remember to come back as we get closer to the book launch, because I think the work is really important. Plus, who knows what else you'll be doing by then. Perfect. And yeah, so thank you too. so much, Larissa Kindred. This was delightful. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.